Welcome to Breakfast with an Alcoholic. I'm Randall. I'm an alcoholic and your host. Did you miss me? I missed you. The premise here is pretty simple. I have breakfast with a friend and we talk about addiction, recovery, how we got sober and how we stay sober. Today, we're talking with Paulina Pinsky. Paulina is super funny, really talented, and writes newly sober on Substack. It's definitely worth reading. This is a great conversation. You won't want to miss it. So come on, pour yourself a cup of coffee and join us. Paulina, welcome to Breakfast with an Alcoholic. Thank you so much for having me. This is really exciting. Exciting is a huge understatement, if you were to ask me. I'm delighted to have you. Uh, you're coming to us from Los Angeles. Um, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? My name is Paulina Pinsky. I am a writer and educator. I uh, am now based in Los Angeles, but I was in New York for the past 10 years. Um, sobriety catapulted me back home. Um, and yeah, I, uh, I'm newly sober, um, which is the topic of my Substack newsletter, which is also titled Newly Sober, in which I think my, my caption is like, I know only a little, but I've drank and smoked a lot. <laughs> Very cool. How did you uh, how did you start writing? So my writing journey is actually quite interesting in that I didn't start writing creatively until college. Um, I was always a journaler um, in my childhood, but then um, I was a competitive figure skater, and surprise, surprise, uh, eating disorder came along with that, and I actually stopped writing. Um, around the time that my eating disorder started, which is really endlessly fascinating to me. But I teach a workshop called Writing the Body. And I really think that writing is a bodily and also spiritual experience. And so it makes complete sense to me that in this time in which I was completely disconnecting from my emotions and hyper aware of being trapped in my body, I wasn't trying to connect to my body. Um, so I wasn't writing except for school. And I always had really brilliant education when it came to writing. And so I could write, you know, an essay in 20 minutes, but I had no idea how I thought or felt. Um, but when I was in college, I went to Barnard College undergrad. Um, I went into eating disorder recovery and I started blogging for this organization called Endangered Bodies, NYC, which was a body positive um, feminist discussion group slash activist group. And my friend who was the editor of the arts magazine at the Columbia Spectator asked me to write an essay for her. And I wrote about when I told my mom I was bulimic. Um, and the hook of the essay was her response, which was get your teeth checked. Um, when I told her I was bulimic, which tells you a lot about my mom. Um, bless her heart. Great hook. Um, and, and it facilitated, you know, my first personal essay when I was 21. Um, and so I was seen as a writer before I understood that I was a writer um, by my community. Um, and then six months later, it got it, it got picked up and went national because of who my dad is. Um, Dr. Drew Pinsky, um, addictionologist, slaughter rehab, love line, all those things. Um, and so it was like, Dr. Drew's daughter is bulimic and anorexic. How did he not notice his wife is a monster? Like, it was just. <laughs> you, you do an awesome voice. <laughs> <laughs> I want to do some kind of narration project just to have you do that voice. <laughs> it's my South Park, like, uh, news broadcaster voice. <laughs> well, because I literally, you know, I was like the extra entertainment tonight. I got interviewed on The View. I was on CNN and, you know. 
I kind of snapped into sort of like my ice skating princess training, got my my roots done, like bought an appropriate dress. And I was like, my mother and I have a complicated relationship, but we're working on it. Like no family is perfect, you know. And so then I was writing op-eds for my college newspaper about weight bias and in the medical system, specifically Barnard's Health. So, so there, I started doing op-eds and personal essays. Um, but because I was like pegged as like eating disorder girl I was like, no, I'm done. I'm like, I want to be funny. Like I, I'm so tired of people coming up and being like, you are so brave. And I'm like, I, this is not brave. Like, like this is a compulsion, you know? Um, so then I went to second city, um, oh, and really? did the conservatory there. Yeah. So I studied oh, improv cool. and sketch there. But then I was like, this isn't intense enough. I'm going to go back to school. And then I got my MFA in nonfiction creative writing at Columbia. I like to say that, like, I don't know what I like to say. I mean, someone in a meeting recently said, like, you learn what's true every time you tell it. And I feel like every time I talk about my experience, I learn something new because I don't know why I started writing. And I think it has to do with my eating disorder recovery because I was reconnecting to my body. But I was also discovering what I felt for the first time and what I thought. Um, because I growing up was quote unquote unopinionated, very good at being thin and pretty, you know, like very good at like looking the part. Um, but I prided myself on not having an opinion and (laughs) now I'm like, that's embarrassing. But I think too, you know, uh, women who are docile and pretty are rewarded in, in sort of like superficial ways. And I think that we're taught to want superficial things. Well, yes, because they're easier to sell. Uh, <laughs> no, and I mean, they, yeah, and they you can work commodify faster. it and they work faster. So, so when did you start, did you start drinking, using what, what was yeah. what the substances? So I was late to the game. Um, one of my first memories was my dad taking me to the rehab that he worked at. And, you know, I would go on rounds with him when he was working otherwise with general practicing. But when we were at Los Encinas, we had to stay in the nurse's station and um, I would always like doodle on like medicine, like (laughs) notepads and pens. And this woman came in clutching a baby blanket and she was asking for more medication. I think she was a methadone addict and she had a meltdown and I was eight and I just was like, oh, drugs are bad. Okay. Yeah. Drugs are bad. Um, And so I was always very afraid of drugs and alcohol. I was always very hyper aware of the fact that that's what my dad did. And so I didn't start drinking until I was 18. And the eating disorder came before that. Yeah, eating disorder started when I was like 12. I was going to a nutritionist weekly um, and it was the early 2000s. And so it was like low fat, no carbs, like 100 calorie packs, think thin bars. Like I was just eating chemicals and like raw, not raw chicken, but skinless chicken, you know. My whole life was ice skating. And, and you know, ice skating was my first love and passion, but it became an unyielding obligation, as did the eating disorder. And so, like, my first addiction, I would say, was probably dieting. Um, crushes and then dieting and then both. <laughs> when I was 18, I started drinking, and that's when Barfalina was born, who is my drunk alter ego. Yeah, um, Bar- Barfalina, I mean, I don't know that much about Barfalina. I've just read a little bit, but Barfalina is pretty entertaining. Yeah, it's, you know, it. Barfalina was a name bestowed upon me. I didn't choose her. She chose me, you know. You know, 
at the time, people didn't know I was bulimic, you know? So it was like, okay, Barfalina, you know? Because I would either, I would drink so much and I'd either black out or vomit, you know? I just went fast and hard. Like, I came late to the party. I was, like, perfectionistic type A, hyper-achieving, hyper-judgment. Because I was so judgmental myself, right? right? And I think that that's sort of, like, what I've learned is that those who are judgmental of others are even more judgmental of themselves, I think that's 100% correct. I like purged eight times in one day and I was like, well, time for therapy. And that was like really my first moment of clarity in my life. Um, and that would happen again when I had my bottom. I, I found myself in AA. My first, well, my first AA meeting was the 24-hour Christmas Eve log cabin meeting in LA. I've heard of that. Because I got sober December 22nd. I went because there was nowhere else to go. You know, it was like, it's Christmas Eve. Where do I go? And um, I was pretty shell-shocked. And that's like when I understood the magic of AA. Let's hear the story of your bottom. So okay. to set the stage, eating disorders since 12. Mm -hmm. Drinking starts around 18. Developing into a problem turns more into a weed problem over time. But everything is still out there, right? Yeah. So 2019, I meet someone. Um, he is a self-professed psychonaut. Um, and he introduces me to psychedelics. So I would smoke weed and play Sims for 12 hours a day. <laughs> <laughs> and so over the course of the pandemic, my weed smoking just like really accelerated. Um, and in the same way that alcohol... Um, can stop working weed can stop working and you have to up the ante so then i got engaged to this person and um he riddled himself an antinatalist um so he believes that um people should not have children and that we should walk into extinction hand in hand as a people um which you know i knew um but thought i could change um <laughs> <laughs> I just want to go back for one, one second. <laughs> so, so he, his view of your future together was walking hand in hand into the mass extinction event. Well, doing weed and psychedelics as much as we wanted and having quote unquote fun and living life free. And so when we got engaged the night before we got engaged, I was like, you know, if we get engaged, that means you're open to having children. And he said, yeah, I know. <laughs> and then the next day he proposed fall 2021. <laughs> I was engaged to an active addict, um, and I was an active addict, um, but his use made me feel like I was functional. Um, and so we were driving from New York to New Orleans to spend Christmas with his family, and we were going to do a sober January, and so I was like, why don't we just kick it off for Christmas? We ran out of weed, like, let's do it now. And so over the course of a three-day drive, he went into active withdrawal and became increasingly Com verbally combative, suicidal, and, uh, yeah, I mean, it was just, it was horrible. It was three days of hell. Um, so that was also my first th three days without weed. Um, and so, you know, it, it culminated in me having a panic attack in an Alabama gas station an hour outside of New Orleans. Um, and the drive is its own, like, I think eventually I'm going to write about it, um, because it, it is its own experience, um, but it was, I was really traumatized by it. Sunday, I have this panic attack in the Alabama gas station. I literally, like, I got out of the car and I felt, like, a chill roll through my arms. And then I started hyperventilating and I found this, like, patch of grass. Like, you know how, like, 
all like gas stations in the south have like the mandatory patch of grass it's like probably like the legal like you have to have some nature so that people don't die you know like whatever it is also for dogs to pee Oh, there. Well, I was knees deep in it. I was, like, crashing to the ground, like, rocking, like, holding my, like, self like a straight jacket, trying to say, like, I can do this, I can do this, I can do this. But it came out, like, I can't do this, I can't do this, I can't do this. Um, and I was, like, praying to all my grandparents. I was praying to Elvis because that's my first duty is to pray to Elvis before ice skating competitions. I held onto <laughs> a tree. I went into the gas station, took a selfie. I was like, don't forget this. Tried to get back in the car, had another panic attack, back to the path, patch of grass. Like, I can do this, I can do this, I can do this. And so we get to New Orleans, and basically um, the ultimatum was if for him, because he very clearly needed help, because um, I was like, listen, I'm calling 911, are you going to rehab? Like, there's no question here. And he said, well, if I promise to go to rehab, Paulina has to promise never to procreate. <laughs> So I'm sober still, um, and we're not engaged. Uh, so yeah, I bought a like last minute plane flight from New Orleans to LA. It was like a 4 a.m. flight. I got home and I like, as soon as I saw my mom, I like literally fell to my knees and was like screaming. My own formulation of the bottom, because everyone's bottom is different, and some of them end up in cardboard boxes, and and some of them don't. But but their bottoms the same mm-hmm. because because it's the thing that that gives you the impetus to do the hard work you have to do. But I, I think the bottom is the point at which you're the farthest away from the person you were meant to be. Mm. Oh, I love that. That's free. You can use it whenever you want to. I really do. I really do think that because whatever that distance is, that realization and you're like, Oh my God, like look how far away I am. And so what has been really beautiful about sobriety is like I started ice skating again for 11 years, I couldn't even talk about it. I just bought, like, like the Cadillac Ugg boot uh, Italian ice skates. The Adea. I think it's the Icefly. It has, like, crystals on it. I would love to hear you talk about this. I did not think that it was going to go this direction. Mm. I did not think that I was going to be writing a daily gratitude list every day. I did not think I was going to be doing a podcast, of all things. I didn't think I was going to be doing any of this stuff. And they are all outgrowths of sobriety, I'm pretty mm-hmm. sure. And they're all outgrowths of creativity mm-hmm. that got recaptured. And, you know, and, and what you're saying about integrating yourself, like you, my sponsor says this, and I write this all the time. It's the process, sobriety is the process of becoming the person you were meant to be. Mm. Oh, I love that. And I love that too. It's, it's Tommy's, it's not mine. Way to go, um, Tommy. I may have made it nicer, but it's basically his. Um, <laughs> you you shaped it up, but it was his content. I, I, you know, once an editor, always an editor. <laughs> um, I think listening to yourself is a fundamental skill of sobriety that doesn't necessarily get taught. Sobriety has really shown me that there is divine timing in everything. It is no mistake that I got sober December 22nd and I had been planning for months to lead a group of people through the artist way January through March. Right. Uh, I got sober the 22nd. Two weeks later, I was leading a group of people. I've led people through the artist way multiple times, but this was my first time doing it sober. And um, my like, I, I love what you're saying of just like it isn't. It isn't for fame and glory. It's because I have to do it to survive, right? And I started newly sober 
during the artist way. Um, I had had a sub stack cause I was trying to do a memoir newsletter, but I couldn't get people to sign up for it because it didn't have focus and it didn't have, it, it didn't have substance. And here I was, and, and how I make sense of the world is through reading, writing, right? If you, if you explain it to me, sure, I'll get it. But if you, if you give me a book on the topic and it's memoir, I will understand it in a way that will change me forever. And I was finding there wasn't a lot of writing about early sobriety. There wasn't a lot of writing about marijuana addiction, um, and there is writing about sobriety, early sobriety, but it's very, it's not in process. And so I was just excited by the premise of what would it mean? And part of it is because your brain is fried and like, you can't really articulate yourself in the way that like you would two years later, but it's interesting now to have this sort of like catalog of like where I was and what was going on. Um, and so I think yeah, you know, I think being able to listen to yourself and also like, again, like what feels hot to the touch? What is the thing that you have to write because you can't not write it? So The Artist Way is a 12-week spiritual workbook written by Julia Cameron in the 90s. Um, it's meant to unlock creativity, um, but she is a long AA sober person. And there's a lot of overlap in terms of the ideas present it's a 12-week workbook there's 12 steps there's you deal with the god concept in sobriety you have to deal with having turn your life and your will over to power greater than yourself thank god um and but the the focus isn't the same sobriety is she would ideally like you to be sober it is so much better doing the artist way sober as someone who's done it three times not sober you still get something out of it but when you're sober, it's a whole, it's a, it's a spiritual awakening, right? And so I, this was my first go of, of sobriety in 12 step. And I, I do think that sort of my experience with the artist way was sort of like my introduction to sobriety, um, in, in its own way. Um, but it's, you know, it's a chapter, there's tasks at the end, the sort of foundation of it is doing morning pages every day and then taking yourself on an artist date every week, which is doing something by yourself that you actually want to do, not what you should do, right? Like going to a trampoline park versus like, oh, I should go to the, you know, the Franz Kafka reading because it'll make me look good, you know? Um, and so you just really, you start to learn what you like and what you are drawn to and what you actually want to do. And, you know, you heal your wounds and there is a divinity in, in creativity because honestly, like our, our entire existence is creativity. I think that's what's interesting about the artist way is that if people actually gave themselves the license to do the things that they actually liked, they would be playing pickup basketball and going to record shops and sitting in the park. You know what I mean? Like it's the difference between like what you think you should be doing or like, I, I also think that like being old is a mindset. I agree with that. hundred percent. I agree with that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it is it, it, like everything else. It is fundamentally about mindset and how you approach things. Definitely. Um, <laughs> All right. Um, are you ready for the alcoholic lightning round, Paulina? Oh, you know I am. It's time now for the alcoholic lightning round. Look at the confidence. Yeah. <laughs> I like being caught off guard, so I'm, this doesn't scare me. We're putting time on the clock. Superpower if you had one. Teleportation. When they make the movie Breakfast with an Alcoholic, who do you think should play you? Christina Ritchie. Three words people would use to describe you. Bright, funny, and driven. Song you listen to a lot but have previously been embarrassed to tell people. Mm. 
Uh, been a been a bad day. Been a long day. You take a one down. Sing a sad song just to turn it around. Yeah, that one. Um, what do you think is the best song by the band Wang Chung? I don't know who they are. Favorite Pop-Tart flavor? Strawberry. I, I, I'm not going to call you out for the strawberry Pop-Tart thing. Um, <coughs> the one true Pop-Tart flavor is brown sugar cinnamon. Oh, I've never had that before. Oh, my God. This was fantastic. Thank you for having me. Oh, no, thank you for doing this. Well, that's another episode of Breakfast with an Alcoholic. I hope you enjoyed it. In fact, I hope you enjoyed it so much that you subscribe. And to make that easy, I put a button down there. You can just push it. Go ahead, I'll wait. <laughs> cool. When you subscribe, you get the daily gratitude list, all of the future episodes of Breakfast with an Alcoholic, the liner notes, the official discography, and so much more. The really great news? You can subscribe today for free. I mean you're probably also going to be able to subscribe tomorrow for free, but wouldn't today be better? Also, I know it's Alcoholics Anonymous, but it's totally cool if you want to tell your friends about us. It's thanks, F-L-M-S, thanks for letting me share on Instagram and Twitter. And I put another button down there to make it super easy to share. So subscribe, like, share, follow, and I will be very grateful. On a serious note, if you need help or want to learn more, nyintergroup.org has a complete listing of AA resources in New York. And there's an intergroup site for every state and a lot of countries. If you want to ask us, we can try to point you in the right direction too. So that's it. You can look forward to the liner notes for this episode soon. And I'm already excited about the next breakfast. And not just because there are going to be pancakes involved. Until then... Be well, stay groovy, go to a meeting, and call your sponsor. Thanks for letting me share.